Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Today, I'm joined by Julie Lammers, who is a senior vice president at a company called American Student Assistance, also known as ASA. Julie, welcome to Trending in Education. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you. We're going to talk about career pathways and trying to expose kids at an early age to all the possibility that's out there. Probably talk a little bit about how everything's even more up in the air than ever these days. Before we get into that and what ASA is doing, we always like to begin by getting to know our guests a little bit better. Can you share with us what got you to this point in your professional life? Sure. And it is very reflective of what ASA does now. I started at ASA 13 years ago doing government relations work for us. Prior to that, I worked for the United States Senate for about 10 years. Massachusetts Senator Ted Kennedy at the time uh, was the chair of the education committee. So I did a lot of work around education with him, working in the state with constituent groups and around policy to try to expand opportunity for, for a lot of the things that ASA now talks about. But I'd actually started my very first work experience was with Senator Kennedy as an intern. And I had an internship as early as my senior year in high school, went to a college that allowed a lot of work-based learning experience. I went to Northeastern University, which is very big into cooperative education. And so I had six work experiences prior to actually taking a full-time job. Wow. And so that has really driven my point of view and a lot of the work we do now at ASA around how do we expose young people at a much earlier age to opportunities around career so mm -hmm. that they can narrow their possibilities, eliminate the things that they hate, you know, narrow in on the things that they love. I think that was a pivotal experience for me in my professional growth and professional learning. And we at ASA think that is something that every young people should be able to experience at a much earlier age than most young people are doing now. I did a lot of that work in college, but for many people, the risk of trying something, you know, their junior year in college and realizing that I hate something means I need to restart a major or right. possibly change schools. So at ASA, you know, we are a national nonprofit focused on expanding the way young people learn about careers and navigate to education and career success. And for us, that means that young people should be exposed to career opportunities no later than middle school. Use that middle school time to really explore what the options are and understand sort of where they fit into the working world. And then in high school, really start being able to test and try through work-based learning experiences, career exposure, what might work for them so that they can more deliberately choose their post-secondary education. Yeah. So that's generally what ASA does. We do this through advocacy work, which I'm responsible for in my role as the Senior Vice President of Advocacy and Corporate Social Responsibility. We also do a lot of philanthropy work, which I also oversee. And then really our biggest portfolio and reach for students is digital products that we release free to young people and they're direct to kid services. So we try to reach kids where we know they are, mainly through social media. Yeah. And last year provided career exploration exposure activities to about 11 million kids through TikTok and other social media platforms. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really surprising, I think, when folks of older generations hear that folks are actually out there meeting students where they are, meeting Generation Z where they are providing content that's resonating. In some ways, it's not surprising where my understanding of Gen Z is that they're certainly aware of what's going on around them. They've been 
exposed to information from a very early age and they're kind of eager to figure out their place in the world, how they can make an impact. But what they may not have is access to relevant career path information. I also like to talk about generational zeitgeists. As someone who spends a lot of time thinking about how to reach Generation Z and how you're designing products that meet them where they are, can you talk a little bit about what goes into the decisions you're making in this space? Yeah, so it is largely driven. A lot of the work that we do is largely driven by students themselves. So we do focus groups on every product that goes out. Sometimes, even internally, we are not thrilled with might be the fonts that they choose or the product title that they come up with, but we're not the target audience. And so we really want to rely on young people, Gen Z, to understand what will resonate with them what they find as valuable and important in in the way that they prioritize things. What are the platforms that they're using? And that's going to change consistently, right? When we first started this, we did a lot through Twitter and Facebook. Over the last five years, that has changed significantly. Mm-hmm. I don't think we use those platforms very much anymore. It is mainly, you know, TikTok right now. I'm sure in another two years, that will shift again, depending yeah. on where young people are finding the most value in their information. We see when we do research of young people, the majority of young people go to YouTube on a regular basis to understand basic educational you know, topics, to do research, to learn more about something that interests them. It is a huge source of information. And we need to figure out how best to use that to make sure that students are getting good information. If we know that's where they're going, it's up to us then to make sure that that information is is out there and those tools can be used in a way that's helpful. Makes a lot of sense. I like to say that YouTube is the world's number two search engine and the world's number one learning platform. Absolutely. Especially micro learning. I know what I'm asking for. Please give it right back to me and let's just, you know, dispense with the amenities. Just give me exactly what I'm looking for, the how-to kind of stuff. Absolutely. And that's kind of the tone I imagine that kids want when they're trying to figure out what my career should be. Full disclosure, you know, parent of a four-year-old, we are now starting to run into people who are asking my son, what does he want to be when he grows up? Mm. And I'm now informed enough to understand that that's kind of a problem in that what kind of careers are you going to have over the course of your life would be a more interesting question, especially if it's plural. But I imagine there's also different ways to just frame the importance of discovery yeah. and the importance of just figuring it out. Can you talk a little bit about how that frame maybe is something that we need to let go of? Yeah, absolutely. And what we see is actually asking the question about what do you want to be when you grow up is actually causes a lot of stress for young people because they don't know. They don't know what the options are. They don't know what the possibilities are. The way we like to talk to young people about it is thinking about four key questions. What you're good at, what you love, what the world needs, and what you can get paid for. This is icky guy, right? Absolutely. That is exactly correct, right? So in the center of those four things are a set of career possibilities for you, not one. And over time, it's going to shift, right? Depending on your personal needs at the time, you may lean in more heavily on what you can get paid for rather Mm. than what I love. Right. 
starting from a framework of understanding those things and conversations about what I like, what I love, what I'm good at, in our opinion, really needs to be happening in the middle school time. I think certainly four-year-olds can have those conversations too, but their worldview is slightly more limited. But by middle school, what we see kids are first of all, less stressed about their future than high school students are. And so are more open to the idea of what possibilities are. Mm. They're at a developmental stage where they can actually start reasoning about the future. Yeah. And if they don't have these conversations by the end of middle school, they actually start foreclosing opportunities. Mm. So because I don't know it exists, because I don't know it's a possibility for me in my future, I'm not even going to explore it. Mm-hmm. And it means they don't choose high school classes to align with those interests. They might not take the extracurricular activities that will expose them to those interests. So that middle school piece, in our opinion, is one of the most critical and sort of untapped resources and having these conversations about career readiness and the career opportunities that are available to students. We certainly don't want kids picking what they want to be in seventh grade, but it is how do you use conversations as career opportunity multipliers, right? That we have exposed young people to the set of opportunities and experiences that are available to them so that they are not shutting down possibilities for their future. Yeah. And presenting it in such a way that every kid feels like that could be me. This is also where, you know, representation is an important piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. Getting kids early on to believe in the possibility and also understand that the supports can be there for them. Can you also describe a little bit more about what types of supports you're seeing have the most success really along the way? Yes. In the exploration piece, exposure to career mentors that look like them, that have similar backgrounds and experiences to what they live so that they see that it's a possibility for them. Mm-hmm. You know, tools that have been successful in some middle schools are just the fact that they are building in deliberate conversations about career, which may not have ever happened before. So just starting those conversations and the digital products that ASA puts out are really in that vein, right? They're not deep learning tools. They are really trying to spark conversation in students. Have you thought about your career options? If you wanted to be a comedy writer, how would you pitch that to your parents as your future career path? Those types of conversations about what do you know about yourself? How can you articulate that to the outside world? And how does that fit into a career? Mm -hmm. Those are things that kids need to start having um, exposure to at a younger age. So once that exposure piece has happened, hopefully by middle school, then we talk quite a bit about how do we then expose young people to the working world? Because, you know, in 1979, about 60% of young people had some exposure to a job whether it was a summer job, after school, by 2019, that was down to about 35%. Now, there are perfectly valid reasons for that. Kids, you know, spending more time on extracurriculars, hopefully more time doing homework. But the reality is when you're not exposed to the working world, you can't build sort of a workplace identity. How do I fit into work? What do I like? Do I like to work remote? Do I like to be in an office? Do I like to hands-on work? Those Mm -hmm. types of understandings of yourself. They can't build social capital, which we know about 50% of jobs still come through who you know. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have access to a professional network, you're somewhat limited. They can't build skills and they can't really hone in on what do I actually like, love, or hate about a specific job. Yeah. You know, I think that 
opportunity to understand. I took an experience and I now know that I absolutely don't want to do this in the future right. is just as valuable as that one that you love. Yeah. So how do we help young people have more opportunity for that? So ASA is really focused on trying to expand work-based learning opportunities for high school students. We see a huge interest from high school age students, but only about 34% of them know of any internship available for kids their age and only about 2% have actually completed an internship or work-based learning experience. Mm -hmm. So a lot of opportunities to expand that area. And we're really pushing from a policy and advocacy standpoint to try to ensure there's more opportunity in that space. Yeah, makes sense. So what I like about it is if it's done well, this starts to solve the question of relevance. Why am I learning this? Right. If you can actually connect the dots to how it will ultimately get you on a path to an industry or a set of skills and competencies or mission, passion, any of those pieces that need to be in alignment makes a lot of sense. The related question, though, I think is you establish that in high school or earlier, it will then be feeding into higher ed in some cases, mm -hmm. but ultimately feeding into a pathway to that first good job. Can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on what happens after high school and yeah. what the pathways like from high school to that first gig? One of the opportunities around work-based learning is to really hone in on why I should be taking my next step in, in post-secondary education. I think mm -hmm. for a long time, higher education has been kids that have sort of fallen into it. I think it's what I should do next, not really understanding why. We did a lot of work a number of years ago to understand college students' perceptions of their experience in high school and in college. And one of the things that we found was people that were, I think that time, sophomores in college, the majority of them had picked their college first, then a major, then thought about their career. Mm. So post-secondary education then wasn't a deliberate choice based on long-term career interests. And as a result, we see a lot of changes in major, you know, excessive amount of time getting to a degree. So we're really trying to advocate for how can we use these experiences to help kids be more deliberate in the choices they're making. We believe post-secondary education is enormously important, but it has to be well thought out. And it's not economically reasonable for most people these days to just use college as an opportunity to find yourself. Right. Right. Well, those days have gone and it, we have to help kids have the tools necessary to make more informed choices about those paths. I think there is a lot going on in the post-secondary education space, particularly when it comes to the variety of post-secondary education options that exist now. We certainly see post-pandemic young people being interested in exploring different ways of consuming post-secondary education, whether it is, you know, community college first and then a four-year degree, the variety of pathway options that have developed different credentialing programs. Yeah. You know, I think credentialing instead, there's about, I think there's over a million different credentialing programs. The challenge now is how do you help kids navigate that complex and sort of unchartered territory of what all of these credentials mean and how do they lead to good paying jobs, long-term economic mobility, and a career that fits their interests and goals. Mm -hmm. That navigation piece, I think we still have some work to do in that space. But our hope is that by preparing kids with a lot of these tools a little bit earlier, they can make more informed choices mm -hmm. going into that post-secondary education decision-making process. And an interesting related trend is, you know, the connection to industry and to big tech, for example, is 
right there where an alternative to traditional higher education is I will work for Google or I will work for Salesforce. And I know that A, I'll be paid while I'm working and B, mm -hmm. I'll have a job on the other end. Absolutely. It's not widely available to everyone. And it's very much dependent on the skills that yeah. you're going after, but the whole landscape has changed. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's why there are so many credentials out there. There are so many companies that have said the post-secondary education landscape is not giving us the type of skilled workers that we need. And so yep. we'll create a credential of our own. Mm -hmm. The challenge for a learner, right, is that if they take that credential, it may not be transferable to other places. And so that's something they need to be aware of. Right. But it is solving an employer gap that traditional colleges and universities are not. So there's a plus minus on both sides and it has created a lot of complexity in the marketplace, but that is certainly the trend. Employers are doing it themselves if post-secondary education is not filling that gap. Yeah, the nature of work is changing the way in which mm -hmm. we think about jobs. Trying to prepare students for jobs that don't exist yet is an entirely different frame of understanding than what historically we've been yeah. thinking about in education. How do we get our arms wrapped around the new skills that are emerging? You know, I made it this far without talking about chat GPT, but there I went ahead and did it. You know, the level to which things will be automated, things will be productized in new ways. Yeah. What kind of skills do folks need to be developing and do our traditional formal institutions of education, are they equipped to do it? I'd love to get some of your thoughts on this. Sure. So I would say they're absolutely equipped to do it. The question is, are they doing it now? So chat GPT is a really interesting tool. I think it's a really interesting learning opportunity because at the moment in its current form, right, chat GPT will sort of regurgitate a lot of facts to people. In some ways, that's exactly what a lot of our K-12 system is asking young people to do, mm. right? Learn about the American Revolution. Give us back all of these facts in yeah. a very chat GPT type way. Right. Challenge is when you ask employers what they want, they don't want people to regurgitate facts. They want the critical thinking that right at the moment, chat GPT is not able to do. So how do you take a tool like that, which we know is not going away, and use it for learning? So Great. Had ChatGPT write a five-page essay on the American Revolution, but then you need to tell me what your argument is for why colonists versus the British were right in whatever situation this was, right? What is your critical opinion about this fact-based situation? Those are the types of conversations and skills that employers are saying our young people currently don't have. And it's not a chat GBT issue. <laughs> it is the fact that we're not, we have not really embedded, you know, the durable skills conversation into learning in schools. What are the communications skills, critical thinking skills, the teamwork skills that young people need, not only in a classroom setting, also to be successful in the workplace. Those are things that technology can't really do at the moment. I'm not saying that they will never be able to get us there, right. but even something like ChatGPT, which is a really interesting, you know, revolutionary way of providing information to people, can't do the skills-based activities that employers say are critically important in a workplace. Yeah. So how do we then use those tools, much like we use TikTok and YouTube as a place to start conversations? 
and place to drive the additional critical thinking, high level reasoning that are missing from a lot of the conversations in school and employers are saying they desperately need. Yeah. I come back to Marshall McLuhan a lot. The medium is the message where if you're not using some of these new media formats, in some ways you're going to be left out of the conversation, very similar to the way you're describing your presence in TikTok. I think similarly, if you're not at least fluent in what these tools are, you certainly can't ban them. You need to at least understand why they're here and and also think about ultimately what's on the other side mm. is a work environment, say three, five, 10 years down the road where we'll be at chat GPT-10 by then and kids are going to be expected to use these types of tools on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. It's not really a time to be hiding your head in the sand. But I'll get off my soapbox. No, and it quite frankly, like, like those conversations about, you know, the ability for plagiarism in school and all of those, they're the same conversations that I'm sure were had. Now I'm dating myself years ago when Cliff's Notes were right. a thing, right? Sure. That, yeah. that it became easier all of a sudden to read a shorter version of a book and questions were already provided for you. These are the same conversations. The same answers exist. Mm-hmm. So what are those high level reasoning conversations to help kids in a way that the tools cannot. There's huge value in some of these tools. We just need to rethink how we use them to further learning, not be scared about their existence. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that I love about it as a podcaster is it allows me to get into the future casting sci-fi angle. I always have to talk a little bit about AI. Then you got to touch a little bit on the AR, VR, and mixed reality. I imagine that's also a place where if you're thinking about what does it actually feel like to do the work, why Mm -hmm. might I prefer to be a park ranger to a welder, you can actually start to try on what that experience might feel like. Any thoughts about what's emerging in this space? There's a lot of interesting technology that is aiming to do that based specifically on that career exploration space. You know, I tested something about a year ago on how to fix a wind turbine. in the middle of, you know, Narragansett Bay, right? And what young people understand then is I'm not okay with heights, right? right? Because you need to look down and you actually feel that through a virtual reality setting Mm. without actually having to go do it. Mm -hmm. So again, that ability to be exposed to opportunities where you can start eliminating the things that don't fit with you and really hone in on the things that do, whether it's in real life or virtual reality, we are really excited about those opportunities and possibilities. Mm. And there's a lot of good ed tech organizations that are focusing on that virtual reality piece as the future of career readiness. Yeah, and they'll go to a metaversity as opposed mm-hmm. to a brick and mortar university. Although it does feel like, and I'll credit Tony Wan who said this, it does feel like the second life of second life in some ways. So, <laughs> so, so we'll see. we'll see how it all plays out. It's been an amazing conversation so far. I'd love to get a little more of your forward thinking for ASA or for just the space of early exposure into pathways? What do you see on the horizon? So ASA has not always been in this business. Our focus a number of years ago was on student loans and student debt. Our shift at the time was really because students were coming to us feeling as though they had made a lot of poor choices about post-secondary education and a lot of questions about, I wish I had known, Mm -hmm. right? And so At that time, when we were doing counseling around financial education and student loan counseling, we made the decision to, how can we be much more proactive in helping young people understand where they fit in the world 
and how to get there effectively. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we made a transition about seven years ago to really focus on this middle school and high school space. Over that time, I think at the beginning, it was a little bit slow going. I'd say in the last three years or so, we've seen a huge increase in the interest and opportunities available to students when it comes to exploring earlier and really dedicating time and resources in the high school space to skill building, to building social capital, to exposure to the working world. Part of it, I think, was spurred largely by the pandemic, right? It was, we saw a lot of people, young people disengage from both traditional post-secondary education as well as high school and find that they had to work instead of learn. And so now what are our opportunities to help young people learn through work and keep them engaged in high school? As you say, it's a really good opportunity for young people to understand how the working world really does apply to what they're learning in school. And so making those connections have been more important than ever as we're trying to get young people back in. I think we see a lot of opportunity in virtual work-based learning and virtual exposure to the working world. Mm -hmm. Again, a lot of innovation spurred by the pandemic and out of necessity. Yeah. We were funding a work-based learning program in the state of Rhode Island, and they had to sh shift entirely online. Now, two years later, they've decided to go a more hybrid approach to what they're doing. But the reality is one of the reasons they're doing that hybrid approach is because the working world has changed so significantly in the last few years. What they are seeing is they need to now teach young people how to work effectively remotely. Yeah. That is a whole new skill set that pre-pandemic was never considered. Mm. How do you show up on time for a Zoom meeting? How do you, you know, show up in the same way you would show up in a workplace in a remote working world? It is a different skill set to navigate. And for young people that are just thrown into it, it takes some training and some practice. Our partners in Rhode Island were saying that about 40% of their employer partners were saying they would never go back to a regular you know, workplace. Yeah. So this is the reality for the future. I think most of us, many of us are at least hybrid, if not full remote. There are certainly companies that have gone back completely in person, but it is an increasing trend that a skill set around remote work is something that we're going to need to teach people. And it has provided great opportunity for people that traditionally had barriers to access to work-based learning because of transportation, yeah. because of you know, timing and scheduling, mm -hmm. that now I can take an internship that is a is hundred miles away where I may not have had the opportunity to do that before. Yeah. Kids in rural communities thinking about, you know, how can I access a workplace that doesn't exist in my community? Right. And rethinking things like how do I build entrepreneurship skills? This whole set of future work readiness mm -hmm. uh, has really shifted, I think, significantly in the last couple of years and very much for the better. I love the thinking around how technology and the response to the pandemic has opened up our thinking about mentorship and social capital and the ability to get the access that you got early in your career that really opened mm -hmm. things up for you. How do we scale those opportunities and virtual mentorship and networking is certainly of that type. I really like that thinking. We're getting close to conclusion. Before we get there, I always like to get guests advice to folks out there. You know, if there are educators or folks interested in the future of learning, how they can make an impact, you've been able to navigate a successful career to this point. Any advice, recommendations for folks out there? Yes, I have a few. I would say, first of all, stop asking young children what they want to be because they don't know, right? 
try to reframe it in the framework of what do you love and what do you think you're good at, right? And then it's up to an adult to help figure out what the world needs and what they can get paid for. So, you know, start there. I think that's always a good conversation. And then, you know, we are always trying to figure out how do we get more adults, whether they are through mentorship or career job shadowing, internship opportunities? How do we get more people to actually participate in solving this problem of a lack of career exposure for young people? Mm -hmm. So if there's an opportunity for you to get involved, get your organization involved, partner with a community-based organization, find ways to expose young people to the working world. You know, that is something that we are really trying to encourage and hope that people will sort of take hold of and understand that they have a role to play and helping young people see what their future could be and match it to a set of career skills that they're able to discover and uncover by partnering with adults that can help them do that. Fantastic stuff. Julie Lammers is the Senior Vice President of Advocacy and Corporate Social Responsibility at American Student Assistance. It's ASA.org. Julie, as we're wrapping up, I always like to give guests an opportunity for closing remarks. Take us wherever you'd like us to go. Thank you again for appearing on the show. Thank you so much for doing this. Career readiness is something, as I said, that has gained increased interest over the last few years. We're excited to see it as a topic on your podcast. We hope that others will get more involved, understand what their role can be in helping expose young people to career. And I really appreciate you having us on. Awesome. Julie Lammers, thank you so much for joining me on Trending in Education. Thank you very much. Awesome. And for our listeners, hopefully you enjoyed what you heard. If you did, please subscribe, write us a review, do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education. 